Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We'll have more information at the end of the podcast, but for now, please enjoy this week's teaching. Exodus 3, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he was, had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. He said, further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, and the Hevites, and the Jesus, <laughs> I work so hard on that. Jesubites, or something like that. The cry of the Israelites said, now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. Now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring out my people the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you. That is, I who send you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, I've come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors have sent me to you, and they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I have sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever." And this is my title for all generations, the word of the Lord. Very good. Oh, there we go. Good morning. Okay, so ask any elder millennial like me, what is the most perfect, most stunning, most impactful account of today's scripture? And they should tell you one thing. That this moment where Moses encounters God, Elohim, the one who created all things and holds all things together, came to Moses in a bush, is best depicted in the 1998 animated masterpiece, 
the Prince of Egypt. As you can tell, I have no chill and I am all biased about this movie. It was one of the first animated movies with a person of color that wasn't Disneyified. There was a gravitas to the storytelling because of the story itself. The story of God's responsive care for God's people. The story of God meeting ordinary people came alive with the extraordinary voices of Helen Mirren and Patrick Stewart, Ralph Fiennes, Jeff Goldblum, Sandra Bullock, and of course, Val Kilmer as Moses himself. And let us not forget, actually, let us take ourselves back to the very moment where we heard our queens, the divas, the voices of our elder millennial childhoods come together and sing when you believe. Did I, as a 17-year-old, care that I was wearing out the CD of an animated kids movie? Nope. Four words. Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston. Y'all, I played Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston on repeat anyways, so throw God into the mix, and I was obsessed. So the burning bush moment in this movie that, adapt, that adapts the first 14 chapters of the book of Exodus happens after Moses, a Hebrew baby raised by Egyptians, fled to Midian after murdering a guard. And while he was there, he married a woman named Zipporah and began working as a shepherd. And this is where we find Moses in our scripture and in that moment in that movie. A person, metaphorically and literally wandering in the wilderness, was met by God. Theologian Walter Brueggemann says of this moment, Moses had, an, had his ordinariness broken. He had to rethink the face and the life of his people. Moses discovered that his life was saturated with the reality of God. In a lot of ways, I relate to Moses. I'm navigating parenting older teens and young adults, and it's honestly incredibly hard. I'm parenting my kids with a different approach to faith and spirituality than I had, and in some ways, I'm so grateful that they don't have the same trauma and obstacles to their spiritual formation I had, but in other ways, I still worry about them. I'm a pastor of a small church in the years following a pandemic that really forced us to question everything, including our commitment to the local church, the necessity of gathering, the centrality of scripture, as we saw that scripture could be used to prop up harmful and hateful ideas. And I never feel more like Moses wandering than when I walk into a room and have no idea why I'm there. Like literally, you can find me at least once a week bopping around my house, thinking about one thing, but on my way to do something else, and then bam, I'm looking around my living room like, why did I come in here? <laughs> so today, I would love for us to consider this one question. When an extraordinary God shows up for us in our ordinary lives, will we be able to notice it? Like Moses about his regular day, wandering with the sheep, notices that a bush is burning but's not consumed. And as he draws near, he hears his name. And when he responds, God tells Moses God's name, a name that has become a North Star for me in all of my wanderings. So I want to give a little background and context about this passage, because when Moses comes upon the burning bush where God is, and the, the Hebrew people were still enslaved by Egypt. Moses, like I said, having been raised in Egypt, knew the atrocities of slavery. Part of his historical trauma is that he murdered an Egyptian for beating a Hebrew slave. 
He knew the kinds of violence and disregard for human dignity that went on in Egypt. So that's one of the things going on in this passage. Let me just read the account for us one more time so that we can hold it in our minds. So the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Then Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me, and they ask, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. And God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. I read that again for us so that we can have it fresh in our minds because we're going to camp out on this phrase. I am who I am. This is my name forever, says God. The Hebrew translation of I am that I am is Ehyah Asher Ehyah. To understand this, we need a quick Hebrew lesson from a Hebrew scholar, Dr. Michael Lafarve. So strap in with me. We're going to turn our thinking brains on just for a second. So God explained the meaning of his name, Yahweh, at the burning bush, says Dr. Lafarve. Yahweh has commonly been interpreted as a statement of God's self-existence. This is a term theologians use to indicate that God has no beginning and does not depend on continued existence for anything other than God's own self. He goes on to say that God explained the meaning of Yahweh by placing it in parallel to similar sounding Hebrew term, I am, Ehyah. Yahweh is God's personal name, so closely identified with his being that many Orthodox Jews refuse to pronounce it instead of saying, Instead, they say Hashem, the name, or Adonai, Lord, to guard the name's sanctity. God answered their cry using the expression, I am who I am, to introduce God's self as their deliverer. In English, it sounds like a philosophical statement about God's existence. But in Hebrew, the passage used the ver- uses the verb, the passage use of the verb, Ehiyah, is actually meaning I am or I will be. So it's not just a flat-out statement. It's a statement about the character of God. And in the name Yahweh, God made himself known as a present being, present with and for his people. And wherever God's presence is evoked, that announcement is pregnant with the certainty of his attention, his care, his power, his grace. God's care, God's power, God's grace. Perhaps a helpful paraphrase of God's word at the burning bush of I am that I am 
would be to say, I am present has sent me to you. That was a lot. But since we are coming to a distinctly Jewish text with Western eyes and sensibilities, I wanted to camp out there for a minute in the language of I am that I am. Because simply as Westerners in, the, in 2023, we could come across it as kind of flippant or even insistent, or insistent and insensitive. I am that I am. It feels like a supercharged, it is what it is, coming straight from the divine. In fact, there have been accounts of slaveholders using I am that I am for God's name to keep enslaved Africans in control. God has determined your lot in life, so deal with it. God is who God is, and he will not change. I am that I am has been used to quiet our questions of where God is in our own sufferings, our lonelinesses, uh, our own experience and need for something good and beautiful to break into the brokenness of our lives. He is who he is. God is who, he, who God is. I am that I am. He's so far above and so holy and different than us, then why would he even care? I am that I am has been used to coerce us into complacency when we see things that disturb us, like the fires in Maui or the hurricanes in Los Angeles. God is either in control and allowing the world to burn, or God is absentee. God is who God is. I am that I am. I am separate from you. I created the world set in motion and everything else is up to you. I will not intervene. I am who I am. And yet in Moses' context, the context that we are coming to today for encouragement and inspiration, God revealed God's name to his people, desperate, for, desperate in their suffering, in need of it to be replaced with liberation. And God says this of God's self. I am that I am. This denotes a passionate, loving, present God, one who sees and responds, one who knows and understands, one who invites us in as we are going about our everyday lives. I am that I am. I am present to you. And coupled with the additional meaning of I am that I am, the phrase I will be, this is good news for us today. Because what God is saying to us through this story is, I am that I am. I am present to you. I have always been present, and I will continue to be present. I'm so glad that we have the Hebrew language to look at for a richer, more beautiful picture of God. Because this name, this name of presence, of care, of connection. This is the name that God says, is my name forever, the one you should call me from generation to generation. Okay, so it's one thing that, to know that we should be aware of God's presence and the ways that God is present to us. It's one thing to be encouraged that God is who God is and that God is a God of love and care and presence and closeness and awareness. It's one thing to know that. But the question I ask us to hold is how do we notice that God in our everyday lives? How do we as ordinary people notice this extraordinary God? How do we practice remembering that God is who God de describes God's self as, as presence? Thomas Keating, 
one of my favorite mystics and teachers says, we rarely think of the air we breathe, yet it is in us and around us all the time. In similar fashion, the presence of God penetrates us, is all around us, is always embracing us. I am that I am. I will be present to you. I have been present to you. This God of presence and love and care is always embracing us. So with the rest of my time, I want to explore how to cultivate an awareness of God by going back to something that God said to Moses when Moses asked God to reveal God's self before God says, I am that I am. So God says this, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That is super interesting to me because God calls Moses by name. And then when Moses responds, here I am, God could have straight up said like, yo, you're talking to I am that I am and all that that means for you. I'm present, I'm here, I see you, I love you. I, talk, I call your name, you call my name. But he didn't. What God did was he used God's relationships with others, the stories and the ways that God was present for them, as sort of his credibility with Moses first. God leveraged Moses' awareness of others and their experiences of God to gain trust with Moses. It wasn't enough that God knew Moses' name. And like I said, God could have straight up relied on his own name, but God chose to reference the distinct connections God had with Moses' ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It makes me think of one of the best advice I received from an older mother and, and how it led to one of the most impactful moments of my mothering when my kids were eight, four, and three. So this mother who had kids uh, in, the, in their teens, but she, they're kind of the same spacing, so her kids played together in the same ways that my kids played together. She noticed how they were playing once, and she said, I want you to try something. When your kiddos are playing with each other and one of them gets hurt or there's some sort of argument amongst them, don't rush over immediately to intervene. Wait and see how they respond to each other as siblings. And I thought, um, I will have bleeding children in a messy playroom. And my anxiety can't handle that, but I mean, you're my mentor mom, so let me trust you in this. So I did. So we had in, in our apartment, in our townhouse in Boston, we had our kind of living area, and then our kitchen was back here, but there was a bedroom right across from the living area. So if I sat in a specific chair in the living room, I could put the kids in the playroom, and I could mostly see how they were faring. There's a couple of like spots back here where they could hide from me, but for the most part, I could see what was going on in there. And so one afternoon, they were in the playroom, I was sitting in the chair, and I hear them playing, and my kids, like I said, were eight, four, and three at that point. And they're playing, and then I hear the telltale signs of like one of the kids kind of tumbling, like falling and getting hurt and starting to cry. And immediately I'm like, let me go in there. But then I thought, let me just see the, what this crazy mentor mom is up to. So I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I hear one of my kids run over and say, well, the one who fell was like, I want mom. And then one of my kids ran over and said, if you go to mom, this is what she's gonna do. She's gonna say, give a little rub, give a little pat, now that's that, that she's gonna give you a Band-Aid. And the other one was like, yeah, so then when she does that, she's gonna give you a Popsicle. 
And so they were like, kind of just like prepping my, this little kid about what to do in, in their harm. And it was so fascinating for me to listen to them just kind of co-conspire and like actually bring, like diffuse their little siblings hurt by just saying, this is what happens in this family when we're hurt. And then I started to hear them conspire about like, but if we send you to go get a popsicle, then maybe you could get us a popsicle too. And then the other one was like, well, what if we all went with mom, with, with her and went to mom and we all got popsicles. And I'm listening to them talk to each other about me and about the ways that I show up when one of them is hurt. And I had this realization that each child in that room had a distinct experience with me as their mother. Like one of them knew, this is what happens. Give a little rub, give a little pat, now that's that. And the other one was like, but yeah, there's popsicles too, so don't forget that. <laughs> and even though mom had a personal meaning to each child, and they each kind of had their own different, one was calling me mommy and one was calling me mama, like they all had their different ways of connecting to me. I was the one that they knew would relieve their pain and apparently provide popsicles. <laughs> this is not so different than the way God shows up for God's children. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob each had a story and a distinct experience with God. And these stories were passed down from generation to generation. They shared one to another and that so much so that it had meaning for Moses. By the time it got to Moses, in his moment of need, there was meaning and matter and peace in the stories that God leveraged. This makes me think of our own spiritual formation, that maybe it's a process of writing our distinct stories with God and sharing them with one another. As we attune ourselves to the presence of God, we begin to see God showing up for us in the stars or in our dreams or wrestling with us through a hard season. We begin to notice the character of God as present and good for us. The one who gives a little rub and gives a little pat and claps that's that and maybe provides popsicles or milk and honey. We read scripture to learn of how, how God has showed up for ordinary people in all of their complexity and their messiness and how God's true character has been shown to us through Jesus. In fact, Jesus references this moment with Moses at the burning bush in John 8:58, when he says, before Abraham was born, I am. The same, the same Hebrew um, context and understanding in that phrase, before Hebrew was born, I am, references back to the same that we see in Exodus, that God is present, that God is with them, that God has been and will ever be. We pray to grow in an awareness of God's presence. For me, it feels like an ongoing conversation. I sometimes imagine the divine taking up space in my home, like sitting on my couch with my doggo in God's lap, or sitting at the dining table while I work, or leaning up against the kitchen island while I chop veggies for dinner. I allow myself to picture God in my everyday life, because I would be really freaked out if there was a burning bush in my house. We gather together to tell the stories of God as present for us. And oftentimes I wonder if in my moments when I'm feeling distant from God that I'm actually deeply lonely for human connection and a spiritual conversation. 
one that reminds me that the extraordinary I am that I am is present in my ordinary life. We give to remember that we are provided for and cared for by the God who leads people into lands of milk and honey. One where God knew that there was enough for the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and yes, the Israelites. We give to remember that the God who is with us is generous and there's always enough. We worship because laughter and song are the shackle breakers of our souls. A ritual of exodus we participate in as a collective. We worship because our words and our leaders remind us God is present right here and right now. I am that I am is in our midst. And sometimes I wonder if the greatest part of Moses' mission to lead the Hebrews out of slavery and into freedom was the first step he took of telling his story, trusting others with his experience of the divine and allowing God to inspire them. I wonder if the name I wonder if this name for God was whispered one to another and the North Star of Hope shined a bit brighter for them. Maybe they could leave the stability of oppression for the wandering of the wilderness because they were free to connect with the God who sees, hears, knows, and loves them. I am that I am. I am present for you now and forever. So may you go into your everyday life with an extraordinary God whispering, I am that I am for you. I am present to you now and forever. Imagine God saying your name, Kara, Rebecca, Holly, Jim, and friends. Imagine God saying your name and then receive this truth. I am that I am is for you. I am is present to you now and forever. You are not alone. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Church Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. Creating opportunities for our community to respond from wherever they are in their faith formation. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary and a church calendar because they anchor us in something which can hold us no matter what life throws our way. Our goal is to become ordinary apprentices of Jesus who are learning to love God, ourselves, and others wholeheartedly. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit genesiscove.org.